Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich, co-founder of Abrachi Group and co-host of The Breakout. Before we get into the show, we wanted to let you know about our new contest. We're giving away a pair of Apple AirPods Pro, and all you have to do is subscribe to The Breakout and leave us a review. Subscribers, reviews, and ratings help us reach more people who just might need these stories. Check out this episode's show notes for how to enter. Now on to the show. It was at this pivotal turning point of like, do I really do the work and focus on myself? Or do I go down a dark path that could ruin everything for me? That's Erica Rooney. She's a successful C-suite executive and an energetic powerhouse of a coach, speaker, and podcaster. But to get to where she is now, she had to confront some hard truths about what was holding her back. Now she helps others do the same. Here's the real deal is things like ageism, sexism, racism, like that does exist. And glass ceilings, as we all know it, really do exist. They don't exist everywhere, though. And when you take care of your own shit and when you clean up your own sticky floors, you give yourself more opportunities. On this episode, Erica breaks down what she calls sticky floors, which are those limiting beliefs and toxic behaviors that can hold us back. There are real problems with glass ceilings, but Erica believes there's a lot we can control that will help us get unstuck so we can blast off. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations and best of all, we show you how. We are so excited you're here, Erica, because you have a ton of energy. You have a lot to say. Give us a little bit more about your background and kind of how you arrived at talking about sticky floors and helping people break through these. Yeah. So I very quickly climbed the corporate ladder and I landed in the C-suite after being in HR for about 10 years. And once I kind of got to the C-suite and I was looking around and I was going, well, what's next? Like, what do I do next? And I kept running almost headfirst into this wall, right? We'll call it my imaginary wall. It was really me being full on stuck in my sticky floors. And those sticky floors show up like perfectionism, fear, burnout. They can show up like too much wine on Wine Wednesdays and gambling or not asking for help, people-pleasing, not knowing your worth. And I started recognizing all of these different sticky floors within myself that was keeping me from really reaching my full potential, from really having a seat at the table, and from being a true business partner. And I started to do the deep work and get really curious about who I was and why I was doing the things that I was doing that was keeping me stuck. I was chasing this proverbial it all, right? Being the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect executive, making sure that my kids had this like picture perfect Instagram life. And in reality, I was just breaking inside. And it was because I didn't want to ask anyone for help. I had this idea that I could do it all and I didn't need anybody else's help. 
And I didn't want anyone else to see me struggling. I was always that like picture perfect poster child of like got the straight A's and got into college and got married, check, check, check. And I was doing all of these things and I get to this moment of success, but I just felt completely shattered inside. And it wasn't until I really just hit this breaking point where if I'm really honest and transparent, I was drinking way too much fucking wine. That was good. That way more that was good for anybody else. And it was at this pivotal turning point of like, do I really do the work and focus on myself or do I go down a dark path that could ruin everything for me? Erica, how did you make the decision? Because quite a few of us go down the dark path. And how did you decide then to say, I'm going to do that work versus eh, I'm going to drink some more wine? It's easier that way. Well, and here's the thing too, especially with us wine drinkers, everybody will get this, is we always say like, well, I'll start tomorrow. And like, what's one more day, you know? But those one more days add up to months and that adds up to a year. And then you're nowhere near where you want to be. You look and feel like shit. You're not performing at your best. You're tired. You're yelling at your kids and your husband. And it really just got to this point where my husband was looking at me and he's like, I don't want to be a part of this. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't want to be a part of this. But I still wanted this life that I had built before all the stress of society caught up to me. You know, I was just kept tacking on these expectations that I had of myself. Nobody else said that I had to live by these expectations. It was my own unrealistic expectations. And I just kept tacking them on and tacking them on. And then the stress of being a corporate mom and all of that was just like, I could cover that up with a whole bunch of wine. And I started peeling back the layers and asking myself why I was doing this and was it actually helping me? And the the clear answer was no, right? Anyone could see that the answer was no. And I had to do the daily work, right? I went out and I got a therapist who really kept me in check being like, okay, you're stressed. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to drink a glass of wine? Are you actually going to like dig deeper to figure out why you're stressed and what you can do about it? And it sounds so simple, (laughs) but it's so easy to just drink a glass of wine. (laughs) Uh, 100% easier. Not even if people who are doing wine, but they could be addicted to, I always joke, bowling or anything else, but address what's going on and have that self-awareness to figure that out. We hear of glass ceilings all the time. So it's a glass ceiling. People understand that this is a a structure that someone has and you bump up against it. But your sticky floors is such an interesting concept because this is what's holding you back. It's my floor. It's what is very personal. Is that, how did you come up with the concept? How did this just come to you of like, I'm going to start calling this sticky floors? I think it really came with the wine, honestly, because I felt like if I could clean up that aspect of my life, (laughs) then I would be able to do a lot of amazing things. And I did. I started cleaning up that aspect of my life. And here's the real deal is things like ageism, sexism, racism, like that does exist. And glass ceilings, as we all know it, really do exist. They don't exist everywhere, though. And when you take care of your own shit and when you clean up your own sticky floors, it opens up this like, okay, maybe this isn't the place for me then. And you give yourself more opportunities. Yes. And what I find really interesting about sticky floors is, you know, we've talked a lot about wine. That was like the cherry on top for me, because when I kind of cleaned that up, I started recognizing all of these other, I'll almost call them bad behaviors that I was doing that was adding to that stress, right? People pleasing was a huge thing for me. I didn't want other people to feel uncomfortable 
And while that sounds like a great thing, I was also very much a chameleon. And so I was changing who I was and what I was saying in all of these different environments. And when I was able to slow down and stop and address that fact, I realized that I was like lying to all these people and I wasn't being true to my own core values. So then it's like, okay, then I clean that little mess up. And once I clean that little mess up, I recognize something like imposter syndrome And I'm like, okay, this is showing up in my life in this way. And then I clean that little mess up and I move over here. And it's this constant journey of growth and exploration into how we are handling life and stress and all of these things. And and I also come from this generation, right, where my mother taught me to be independent. She was like, if you do anything, you are going to be an independent woman. But I also come from the generation where it's like, being a mom is your number one important role. So we're taking shit from like the 40s and the 50s of like, you were the stay-at-home mom doing all the things, but now you also have to have this amazing career. So like, good luck doing it all. Right. And don't ask for help. No. And you're independent. So do it yourself. Exactly. And so it wasn't until I really cleaned up like the biggest of the messes that I was able to kind of recognize that I had this coated sticky floor all over the place. And it just allows you to be so much more in tune to who you are as a person and how you respond to different situations and what is okay and not okay in your life. What I really appreciate about Erica Kelly is taking a little bit of control over, instead of saying it's the glass ceiling that's holding me back. And by the way, there's a ton of structural racism and sexism, so I don't want to ever not acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But what's the sticky floors that's holding you back from realizing your potential and your happiness, perhaps? And so I appreciate that she flipped it a little bit, and I appreciate that she was so honest with her wine and saying, yep, that's holding me back. And just that you can have a job title, you can still have a role of chief whatever or director of or VP of and still have that self-doubt. It just fascinates me how you can still have that voice in your head saying, well, but maybe they didn't mean to give me that title. And it's like, when are we as women just going to acknowledge the fact that we do know what we're doing? We did earn the role and title and we should absolutely have the respect. And I do it to myself, too. I mean, I am still guilty of it. It's something that we have to be more intentional in in being comfortable with. I get asked all the time, like, am I ever free from these sticky floors then, right? Like, do they ever go away? And the answer is no, they don't go away because, like, our brains are intended to protect us. So they automatically go to this place of, like, don't ask for the promotion, don't rock the boat, don't do this because it's going to create uncertainty or it's going to cast you as an outcast and like you don't want any of that. So you're never really free from them, but you get the confidence from stepping into that power of recognizing when you're in a sticky floor and you're able to recognize them so much faster. And when I work with my clients, I talk a lot about my SNAP method, which is S for stop, okay, N for notice, A for ask and answer, and P for pivot, right? You have to be able to do all of those pieces of it and pivot that thought of like, I'm not an imposter. I'm not necessarily a perfectionist or whatever these are Two, I can do this and done is better than perfect. And like, those are very basic concepts, but it's shifting that, that way of thinking and shifting your mindset away from fear and scarcity and bad things happening into possibility. Mm -hmm. 
I think I really appreciate that you said that sticky floor doesn't really go away. It's still there, but it's how you manage it and you get used to it. And once in a while, there might be an area you're like, oh, I didn't know that was that sticky over there still. That's okay. Yeah. I'm going to manage through it. What's the most common story you hear when it comes to women feeling stuck in the workplace? Knowing your worth. Absolutely. Hands down. That is the one that I hear. I would say mm. 95% of the time is truly knowing your worth. And I will tell you when I'm working with women and in my executive coaching practice, and then also just in HR in general, the self-doubt and the questioning that I hear women say about themselves, it's like, I don't know why you're saying that. I, you know, I don't even know why you're thinking that. You literally told me out of one side of your mouth that like you were a chief marketing officer and you were doing all these amazing things. And now out of this side of your mouth, you're like, but maybe they'd rather have me as a director. And it's like, whoa, 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 you know? And it's not just in the financial aspect of it, right? Like women do not negotiate the same as men. We don't ask for as much money as men. And it sets us back in a ton of ways, but it's in all other aspects too. It's asking for the promotion. It's asking for the stretch project. It's, you know, advocating that, hey, I need a mentor because I'm the only female on this entire team. And I need to know how to navigate these waters. There's so many different avenues to knowing your worth. But what happens is we are people pleasers by nature. And we just say like, oh, you need someone to take notes? Like, okay, I'll do it. And you just set yourself back time and time again. And women that I see, I love to ask them like, if you could go back in time and tell, you know, the 20 year old you one piece of advice, every single person says, know your worth. Yeah. How does it manifest itself, this know your worth? Are there, are there other ways that you've seen it manifest itself and maybe even outside of work? When I think of like how it manifests, I, I go a lot to how I was raised and things I was told as a little girl and the things that I try to tell my daughter who's five and how I watch people like my in-laws and grandparents and what they say to her, right? So they tell her constantly how pretty she is and how cute she looks and you know, all the things nice little girls are supposed to be. And then they tell my son like how awesome he is at baseball and how hard he's working at this. And you really see the different dynamics there. So I always work with my daughter and I tell her things like, you are so smart, you know, you are doing amazing things. That was a really cool design. And we talk a lot about her ability to influence what she does. And I do the same with my son because I want him to have that same type of agency as well. But I think women in our generation are coming up from this, I don't have as much of a worth because it's all in what I look like and how I act and how I make people feel. Therefore, I must bend and fit these molds versus my little five-year-old queen of a daughter who's running the world at five. I don't want her to lose that. Like I'm awesome sauce and the girl believes she is awesome sauce. Let me tell you. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, I think that's where a lot of it happened. And I think it is so hard for women of our generation to hit that until they're looking backwards in the mirror at the hindsight. Right. And all of the lessons that we've learned along the way. Right. And I think it's so important then for people who are bringing up the next generation or people who are mentoring women in the workplace who are coming out of college, like these are how you can ask you know, for ways to take up space at work, right? Like take up space. Don't be scared to rock the boat. Don't be scared to try something different or something new, you know, get out there and do it and 
fail and be okay with the failure. The breakout comes to you from Abrachi Group. We offer coaching and consulting to help you dig into change. Here's what we know. Only about 10% of us are really self-aware, but 90% of us think we are. Without self-awareness, improvement is tough because if you don't know what box you're in, you can't break out of it. That's where we come in. We've got a soft spot for people itching to forge a fresh path, the high flyers who need to be nudged out of career ruts, teams who are looking to become more aligned, and yes, even those bold souls who've occasionally worn the jerk badge. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. You mentioned snap, Erica, but how else do you help people move out of this mindset and get them in touch with their sticky floors and then also manage through it and own their worth? One of the biggest things I do with people is like a values assessment. And it was something that I have heard all about a values assessment for years. And I could never bother myself with spending the time doing this because we all have values. Okay. I'm a good person. And I used to think it was just ridiculous. (laughs) And then until I was like at my wits end and I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Right. And then I sat down and I identified my values and people don't realize how hard it is because, mm-hmm. and this is always the example that I use. I, I cross off generous person on my list. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm not a generous person, but I don't circle it because it's not my first go-to. And the cringe that I feel when I have to cross off generosity, it feels like, oh my God, I'm such a bad person. I'm not generous. (laughs) But those aren't a piece of my values. And so for me, one of the values that I identified was courage and always doing the courageous thing, right? Maybe not necessarily the easiest or what I want to do, but the courageous thing. And every single time when I'm just like, oh my God, I can't make a decision on this. I don't know what to do. Now that I've actually done this values exercise and I've identified that courage is one of my core values, I then stop and I say, is this what a courageous person would do, right? Would a courageous person start her own podcast while working a full-time job? Maybe, right? That could be different for other people, right? But for me, the answer was yes, a courageous person would do that. Would the courageous person have a tough conversation? And it just helps me direct my actions and really follow that North star in a way that I was not able to do before. Mm. And again, like I'm the first person to tell you for years, I put that off. Cause I was like, that's such a fluffy feel good exercise. It's so dumb. <laughs> and then I actually sat down and did it. And I was like, Holy shit. I love a values exercise. It is so, because what it is, is that decision-making filter so not only do you have to get right with yourself and cross off generous, I'm pretty sure I cross off helpful. Doesn't mean I'm not helpful, but it's not my first love. My first love is driving something to a finish, being creative. Those are the things that more define me. And so a values exercise is so beautiful and I'm so glad you did it. It's also so important to not circle values because you're like, well, society thinks I should circle this. Such a good point. And even though I am outing myself as not being helpful, it still feels wrong as as a female, as a human, right? To say like, nope, that's not one of my core values. It's sometimes not easy. But we're going to a helpful person now, Kelly. Help me out, Kelly. Oh, that was a good segue, wasn't it? Help me out, Kelly. Get me out of this so I can stop talking about how I'm not a helpful person. (laughs) (laughs) 
On the other hand, if you want someone who is going to be um, a great influencer and can persuade all day long, you'd want to go to someone like Carrie who can really do that. She's a great... Do you see how she's helping already, Erica? See how she helped? She helped. She's like, don't feel bad, Carrie. Well, and this is like a really good message for everyone to remember. And it was an area that I struggled is you cannot be all things to all people. It's impossible. Understand where those strengths are, understand those gaps, right? And then pull in the Kellys of the world to be like, guess what? I'm not going to be helpful, but this damn project is going to be done. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That's an area where women get stuck because we're like, okay, well, I've got to be helpful and I've got to be generous and I've got to save all my money for retirement because I'm going to live longer than all the men. And I've got to climb the corporate ladder. And it's so many of those things that we just end up being paralyzed because we can't do it all. And to be careful of how you use that helpfulness and that generosity, being careful not to deplete your energy and deplete your resources, which is a message I'm still learning. That leads into another buzzword, which is boundaries Mm. (laughs) and setting boundaries and maintaining boundaries. And that's a big session that I go through with women is making sure that they have their boundaries in place, but understanding that boundaries are for you to maintain. A lot of people say, well, I put these boundaries out there and they don't respect them at all. And it's like, it's not up to them to respect the boundaries. Okay. We can't control other people and what they do or how they respond. We can only control how we respond. So you don't get to like, build a boundary like a fence and hope that it keeps the cows out. You know, you have to constantly go up there and shoo them away because they're not a one and done. Mm -hmm. And that's where we would do live sales training and we would, we'd had expression that practice makes permanent. So that's a really good point, Erica. How do you feel about overall the future for women in the workforce in general? How is it looking? You know, some days I feel really optimistic about it. (laughs) And then other days I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And being a full-time chief people officer, I see a lot of things that most people don't see within organizations. And I hear the talk and I hear the issues that are going on. And it's like some of the same bullshit that was going on 20 years ago is still going on today. And we still run into a lot of issues where it's like women have to prove that they're being sexually harassed. Mm. And it's like, you can't always prove those things. And so there's a lot of issues that are still out there. And yes, I understand there's reasons why you have to prove that you were sexually harassed, but it's, it's hard to be a woman in the workforce sometimes. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about right now that I'm um, putting a lot of like thought into as I navigate how I want to approach this, but it's more about owning the human experience because my work life is very different from my husband's work life. It is very different for women in the workplace. And I want to talk about what is the human experience like for, for people who are working for mothers who are working at home for caregivers who have aging parents for two gay men who are adopting children. It is very different for every single one of us. So how do we embrace that? human experience so that all of those walks of life can come to work and feel like they can do their best job. It went real negative with COVID. That's why the pay gap has increased from 90 years to 132 years. It was women that had to leave the workforce in droves. But I also think it's normalizing a little bit now as well with, for example, I was an HR executive Before COVID, I had to go into the office every single day. My life was much more hectic. I felt very unbalanced. After COVID, my company decided to stay remote. And I will tell you now, if they ever told me I had to go back into the office, 
it'd be a toodaloo for me. Like I would be out because I have such balance in my life now with this. This works for me. But what works for me isn't going to work for everybody. So I think companies need to continue to explore this human experience that we're all living. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I don't know. Is it better for women? Is it worse for women? It, you, ask me today. Ask me tomorrow. My answer could differ. <laughs> Kelly, when you asked her the question of how does she feel about the future of women, and she said, it depends on the day, totally resonated with me. And where some days I want to say, it's amazing and we can do so much and look at us. And then I look at things that have happened of people wanting to control what we do, what we say, how we do things. That backlash is fierce. And I think as a female, am I doing better than I was five years ago? Hell no, I'm not. I have less rights than now than I did five years ago. So it's a really good question to think about. And it's really fucking depressing too. Yeah, it's really sad. It's a very sad commentary on our country right now, for sure. But it's the power of voting. And it's even more of a reason for women to stand up for what's right for them. You also do some work with organizations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so mm-hmm. what's your experience been like working with companies who are in need of changing their ways in that respect? It's so interesting because everyone is different. And I love to start out by asking them, what does that even mean to you? What does diversity even mean to you? Because it means something so different to everybody else. And I've worked for several large global companies. And it's interesting when you have these global companies based out of different countries, if they're not based out of America, they are not necessarily giving any thought to racial or ethnic diversity. They're only looking at gender diversity and things like that. And then one of the challenges, and it's it's one of my favorite areas to dabble in, is when I go work with a company that is like an entire executive team of old white men. Okay. This is where we are. That's fine. I'm not here to like fire half of you and bring in all these other people just to say we have a diverse workforce. Okay. Like y'all are here as long as you're doing a good job, but it's getting them to understand what an inclusive environment looks like. And then also understanding that representation does matter. You need to start having goals to say, we recognize we are an all white male executive team. And guess what? We are now committed to using only vendors who do executive searches within DEIB space so that when someone does leave, we are replacing it with a diverse candidate, right? And they need to be very outspoken with their goals to people and with what they're doing, because it's not a one and done and it takes time. And I think a lot of people are so scared to address DEIB sometimes because they think it means we're gunning for their jobs. And that's not the case. Once you can kind of break that down, then they understand it a little bit better. But I love doing that type of work. It's so fascinating to me because it really is, like I tell people, what a time to be alive. We have so much talent that we can bring in now because we are not limited by geographical you know, boundaries that we can bring in so many different diverse people and we can create workforces that are unique for unique people and we can thrive. You just have to be open to how that might look. And a lot of talent is looking for companies to change it up and to look 
differently at the way that they hire and their societal obligations and social causes. So, you know, if companies aren't actively doing it, talent is is going to look elsewhere. Last question for you. You've got one minute with someone who is struggling to balance the expectations of their personal and professional life. What do you tell them? I would walk them down a path and I would ask them to identify what expectations they are putting on themselves that they need to let go of. Mm. And I say that because that's exactly what I did. I had these expectations of the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect executive, the perfect ceiling breaker, and all of those levels of perfection continued to just add and add and add. You know, I had to look a certain way. I had to have my makeup done, whatever it is, right? Which ones are you putting on yourself that you need to put down? Because when you can start to identify all of these things, you realize that you don't need to do all the things. And it gives you so much more freedom to be a good wife, mom, executive, if you're not holding yourself to these unrealistic expectations. So powerful. Um, And that's really what this podcast is, is all about. It's about breaking free, the breakout. I love the snap model. Stop, notice, ask and answer, pivot. So beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you. It was so fun. I love chatting with you too. Erica is like the perfect hype person for our, our podcast and book around expectations. Because Erica is just, I was like, she needs to forward the book. I'm like, let me tell you about these expectations. Bullshit. Yeah, right there. The BS expectations. Exactly. Thank you for sharing your story and being such an advocate for women. Thank you, Erica, for all you do. That was Erica Rooney, C-suite executive and cleaner of sticky floors. And this is The Breakout from Abracci Group. At Abracci Group, we specialize in coaching and consulting for brave new directions. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.